BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. This whole series of executive orders was one that was worse after, they, they, they keep getting successively bad, each one worse than the one before. There is the Mexico City policy, the gag rule, where people can't even discuss with women in planning clinics, or, uh, family planning clinics around the globe, the possibility uh, of an abortion. Uh, there was the, uh, the, of course, the executive order. We're going to get rid of the Affordable Care Act under the campaign promise. The executive order. We're going to reverse course on the Keystone Pipeline. We're going to reverse course on the Dakota Access Pipeline, pipeline, and on and on and on. They were all bad enough, but by far, by far the worst. And the one that has just blew up in his face over the weekend. I mean. Have you ever seen protests at airports? I mean, I haven't. I don't remember. But you know, uh, in in cities all and airport at airports all across the country, at Newark and at JFK especially, and at Dulles and in Atlanta and in Los Angeles, people turning out in protest uh, of this uh, Muslim ban that he signed, and in support of the poor people who were stuck at our airports as they arrived uh, in this country. Signing it, of course, on Friday at the Pentagon, Donald Trump says, no, we're just trying to keep Americans safe. It's not a Muslim ban, but we're totally prepared. It's working out very nicely. You see it at the airports. You see it all over. It's working out very nicely. And we're going to have a very, very strict ban, and we're going to have extreme vetting. Yeah. Okay. So Donald Trump says it's not a Muslim ban. He's lying. He's wrong. It is a Muslim ban. I mean, look at the countries that it comes from. So, let's, in fact, let's just put the facts out there, okay, because not a lot of people do understand exactly what this ban says. So the order, I'm just reading here from the New York Times, the order bars entry to refugees from anywhere in the world for 120 days. No refugees coming in from anywhere in the world for 120 days, number one. It bans refugees from Syria indefinitely, right? This is a country that's been in the middle of a civil war for almost five years now. Hundreds of thousands of civilians killed, millions of Syrian refugees fleeing their homeland to Jordan, to Europe, 10,000 of them were allowed into the United States only last year, a million in Germany, 10,000 to the United States last year. But we're banning all refugees from Syria, people fleeing that carnage, you know, he talks about carnage, banning indefinitely. And then for 90 days, it blocks any visitors from seven designated countries, Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen. That's exactly what the order is. Notice. 
all of those countries are Muslim-majority countries. And not only that, the order says, well, Muslims are now not allowed in, but we'll give priority to Christians and to religious sects like the Yazidis or some of those minority religious sects. What is that if not, number one, a Muslim ban, and not number two, a religious test? It's just based on your religion. You can or you cannot get into this country. Blatantly unconstitutional. He says uh, it's not a Muslim ban. Keith Ellison, I thought, said it best yesterday. Uh, he was on Face the Nation. I believe it was Face. Um, and uh, so here's Congressman Keith Ellison, now candidate for chair of the DNC and a Muslim himself. We've never had a religious-based ban before, and they can't deny that this is a Muslim ban. It is a Muslim ban. On the campaign trail, he said he wanted a Muslim ban. He said on national television that there would be other religious groups that would receive priority. This is a Muslim ban. It is. It is a Muslim ban. You cannot deny it. There's so much wrong with it. It's hard to know where to start, but, I mean, that's, let's start with the fact that it is totally un-American, uh, as, as others have said. I mean, we, we are the nation, bring me your tired, your poor, your wretched masses yearning to be free. That's Statue of Liberty. That's who we stand for around, or used to until Friday. That's what we stand for around the, stood for around the world. Un-American, unconstitutional. Again, I don't know whether Donald Trump has ever read the Constitution, but he doesn't have to read far, right? Freedom of religion is... The First Amendment is <laughs> not 47 or 59, there are not that many amendments, but it's the first. No religious test, right? This is a religious test. It's a re you, there's no religious test for who can be an American, and there's no religious test for who is allowed on American soil. Uh, and again, the fact that they, deny, they keep denying it's a religious test, well, how, how can you say it's a, not a religious test when you allow Muslims. I mean, you don't allow Muslims, but you allow Christians. It, it, yeah, I mean, here Donald Trump, he, he gives this priority to Christians. Do we have that, Jamie, where he says, uh, he talks about, yeah, in an interview with the Christian Broadcasting, by the way, with the Christian Broadcasting Network, who's he talk about? Yeah, the Christians. Everybody was persecuted, in all fairness, but they were chopping off the heads of everybody but more so the Christians. And I thought it was no. very, very unfair. So we are going to help them. Yeah. Christians have been persecuted, some. But and a lot more Muslims were persecuted. So there are a lot more Muslims there. They were but that's what this is about. That's what this is about, yeah. This isn't about Christians being persecuted. No. He just doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh-uh. No, not at all. And then the stories of the, of the families that have been impacted. I know you've heard a lot of these stories. These are people who have, most of them, that were detained. The five-year-old kid who was detained for hours at JFK Airport. There's a 70-year-old woman who was kept overnight detained. She had a visa to come into this country. They had been vetted already. That's another thing, by the way. He says we're going to have extreme vetting. We have extreme vetting. We have one of the most extreme vetting processes in the world. People from Syria come in here, they have, I was just I was reading this last night, it's, here it is, 18 to 24 months is what the vetting process is for refugees from Syria. It's a 21-step screening.
process. Now, how much more extreme can you can you get than that, right? We already have. He doesn't know. We already have an extreme vetting process. So again, I, I don't and, think he knows that. I think you're right. I don't think he uh, understands or knows that at all. Right. But I think what's especially getting back to the the people who are impacted. I think what's especially outrageous here and and just troubling is that that first of all, a lot of these the Syrian refugees, if anybody deserves to be taken in, it's the people who've been subjected to this indiscriminate bombing and the use of chemical weapons by the government of Syria and by Donald Trump's buddy, Vladimir Putin. These are people who are fleeing for their lives. They're not coming here to prevent, to, to commit acts of terror. And again, they got to have to go through a 21-step process, 24 months. That's two years before they can even get here to the United States. People fleeing for their families so that they can at least survive. We're talking about basic survival for them and their kids. What would you do if you're in that situation? You do the same damn thing. Seek a home somewhere else. Get out of your country. The Syrian refugees. The other. Th the other thing is just totally outrageous and incomprehensible. Is a lot of people caught in this Trump madness are translators from Iraq who are working with our military. And as a reward for that, by the way, they are provided the opportunity to emigrate to the United States, to come here to the United States. And now Trump is stopping them at the airports, stopping at the border, stopping their family members right here on Capitol Hill, right across the street from where we live, directly across the street from where we live, is a, an Iraqi man who's staying with friends of ours. He's a, he was, trans, was a translator for our military for years in Iraq. And he took advantage of this uh, opportunity to, my, to, to become an American citizen. has not an American citizen yet, but to come here. His wife stayed behind to finish her work. She gets a visa from the United States. She arrived to join her husband. He's been here a year. She arrived to join her husband at the airport on Saturday. Donald Trump signs this in Baghdad. Donald Trump signs this uh, executive order on Friday. She's been vetted. She's been through the process. She's part of a family that helped American soldiers and saved American lives. She's got a visa from the United States of America. She gets to the airport, and U.S. Custom, U.S. people at the airport in Baghdad won't let her get on the plane. I was about to get on the plane, and they called my name. I went, and they said, you can't board. You can't travel. I was shocked. I cried, why? Why me? Yeah, that's the wife of the of the man who lives right across the street from us. It's just absolutely outrageous. It's embarrassing. I hate to be part of a country led by this idiot. Scott Wong covers The Hill, senior staff writer for The Hill, uh, thehill.com. Don't forget, uh, I also write a column for The Hill, so... Close to my heart. Uh, <laughs> Very good call. My colleague. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Scott. Nice Hello. to see you. Thank you. There haven't been many public comments from Republicans in Congress about Donald Trump's Muslim ban. This is as far as we have Mitch McConnell. We know what Rob Portman, we played this a little earlier, said obviously this uh, executive order for extreme vetting didn't get much vetting itself. But this is as far as Mitch McConnell would go. If they're looking to tighten the vetting process. I mean, who, who would be against that? 
but I am opposed to a religious test. Uh, the courts are going to determine whether this is too broad. So basically, he's just saying, well, the courts will decide. And Paul Ryan is quoted as saying, this executive order is, quote, right on target. What are they doing? I mean, they can't believe that. Well, I think what's problematic for a lot of, uh, for, for the Trump administration and for the White House is you have now uh, several key members up on Capitol Hill. I mean, these comments are starting to trickle out, and, and I expect we're going to get a lot more today. today when members start flying back into town. Uh, to I mean, Capitol I'm sure Hill. you're going to be lying in wait for these Republicans as I mean, they arrive on Capitol Hill. Right. I mean, I think the reaction was a little bit muted because it happened over a weekend okay. and, and members right. were that. back yeah. in their districts and states. Um, but, you know, like Lamar Alexander, who's seen as a very uh, respectable uh, member of the Senate, he came out saying, um, you know, that this resembles um, a religious test. You know, it, it may not technically be a religious test, but it sure looks like one. And that's an argument we're starting to hear from uh, several Republicans. And, and so it becomes, you know, it, it's not only a, a constitutional question, I think it's also a PR question when you have Republicans out there saying this smells bad. Right. Uh, and I know we have uh, you know, John McCain uh, and Lindsey Graham. If you can hear uh, uh, the two of them spoke out yesterday. Um, hear John McCain again, uh, Jimmy. Another thing that should have been done, of course, is to alert our friends and allies what we were doing because we will expect them to cooperate because people are leaving from these various places, particularly in Europe. So um, I think the effect will probably in some areas, give ISIS some more propaganda. So is the, uh, Steve Bannon and Donald Trump uh, famously say that uh, the opposition party today is the, uh, is the media, is us, right? <laughs> but is it possible that the opposition party could develop to be a block of Republicans in Congress? Well, I think we've been waiting to, to find an issue, uh, you know, waiting to, to see where Republicans would break hard against the new president, and and I think this possibly could be it. You know, we're hearing from Mike McCall, the the Homeland Security Chairman, somebody who had been uh, one of the top candidates to become Donald Trump's Secretary of Homeland Security, saying yesterday, um, we're gonna Congress is gonna have to tweak this in some way. This is this is not good. Um, this was not a, a good policy. Um, you know, while I believe that we need to do more serious vetting and, you know, combat terror around the world, this was not the, the way to do it and not the right approach. Um, I, I forget. I saw Bob Corker is not a big fan of this policy either. Is I haven't it? seen what Corker has said, but I, I would imagine today. I read so much about it. I forget exactly, but he was not. In that same camp. Right. Yeah. But, you, you know, you, you just alluded to this and, 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 and Mitch McConnell said, well, who could be against um, tougher tougher vetting, right? You know, extreme, more extreme vetting. But the fact of it is, as we pointed out a little bit earlier, for refugees coming here from Syria today, right? Right. It's a ten, 18 to 24-month process. It's a 21-step process already, already, which is why we, even when we expanded right. 
and opened the doors even further to refugees from Syria last year. It was 10,000 total. Remember, that was Barack Obama, as everybody mm -hmm. said. 10,000 compared to, like, Germany's taking a million, right? But we put them through two years of vetting. And Jerry Nadler and others pointed this out yesterday. Not one act of terror has been committed by one single person who came here through our refugee screening program. Not one. So what's the, what's the, you know... The, the compulsion to have even more extreme vetting. I'm, I'm, I, I know this is not your <laughs> policy, but doesn't this doesn't this isn't this a, some shouldn't be of some concern to some Republicans? Yeah, I, I think uh, there's going to be a, there's a lot of questions about this policy still, and and I think what can um, they do? This is an executive order by the, signed by the president of the United States that is being carried out, except to the extent that a judge has blocked it, that's being carried out by the Department of Homeland Security. And the White House this morning, again, and the Department of Homeland Security has said, no, we're not backing down. This is our order. We're going to enforce this order. So what can Congress do? Well, they can they can pass legislation to, to water it down. I mean, the, the problem is... That fast? Sure. I mean, well, the House can certainly act fast. Uh, yeah. I haven't heard that those discussions are, are happening yet. No, they won't, uh, because Paul Ryan's a chicken. Well, lead, you know, and, and it all depends on leadership and what leadership wants. Uh, and they'll, they'll have their leadership meetings, you know, later this afternoon on, on the Hill when they all get back into town. But I think a lot of the reason why a, a lot of the Republicans, uh, as you'll start to hear, are apprehensive about this plan because of the way they carried it out as well. I mean, there's, there's also a way of doing business in this town as you, you bring in uh, you know, you make a coalition, you, you reach out to people, you give them a heads up, Yeah, uh, especially right. if you belong to the same party. <laughs> and as, as far as, you know, as far as I know, that, that did not happen. This was a surprise, and Republicans were taken aback mm -hmm. and caught flat-footed and then asked to respond, you know, how, how do you right. respond to this? And there were so many uncertainties swirling about the policy itself you know, with that whole debacle about whether or not permanent residents with green cards would be covered by this ban. Uh, it turns out, you know, after the protests and, and thousands turned out at airports around the country, it turns out that, um, you know, they, they walked that back and said that they would allow green cards, green card holders to come into the country. So uh, you talk about um, not consulting people who should may have been consulted ahead of time. Um, Two, uh, two examples from members of the administration, uh, one being General John Kelly, who is head of Department of Homeland Security, responsible for carrying this out. The sure. New York Times reports this morning that he learned about this while he was flying back from uh, an engagement in Miami to Washington on a Coast Guard plane. Uh, the t TV is on, and he, is, he gets a call from the White House. We want to brief you on an executive order the president will be signing that you're going to have to carry out. While the White House is telling him about this, the TV is on, and one of his aides there with General Kelly says to him, oh, my God, he's signing that executive order they're telling you about. He's signing it right now. Right, right. There he was on CNN signing executive order, number one. Number two, he's doing this at the Pentagon. So they didn't consult General Kelly ahead of time. They didn't consult General Mattis ahead of time, who's the new defense secretary, Mattis, during the election, when Donald Trump proposed uh, a Muslim ban, General Mattis says w he wondered if we have lost faith in reason. 
quote, this kind of thing is causing us great damage right now, and it's sending shockwaves through this international system. That was Mattis during the campaign. Now, he was right there when he signed it. He was there when he signed it. What do you think he's thinking? You know, I mean, and what do you think Kelly's thinking? I've got to carry out this insane policy. And the videotape doesn't lie. I mean, you have people like Paul Ryan, and I think you played earlier Mike Pence saying that a Muslim ban is unconstitutional and un-American and goes against all of our values. And, you know, you, you can... You can bet that Democrats are going to be replaying those tapes over and over again until this gets changed. In fact, the Democrats will be on the Hill later today holding a press conference. Uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, I'm sure, with a backdrop of Muslim refugees, uh, you know, showing the human impact of this. And you're already starting to see those types of stories trickle out, you know, hearing about children who, ha- who were detained for hours on end over the weekend you know, who have no, no idea of what's going on or why they got caught up in the middle of this. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Jonathan Allen writes a column for Roll Call and uh, is a head of community and content at Sidewire, stepping into the studio on this snowy day in Washington, D.C. Thanks for making it through the uh, blizzard, John. Uh, what hasn't gotten as much attention as it might have otherwise is that uh, Donald Trump, uh, we have him signing this executive order, Jamie, the second executive order at the Pentagon, where he reshuffled the National Security Council. Uh, Here's Donald Trump explaining it. Just housekeeping. This is the organization of the National Security Council and the Homeland Security Council. You know pretty much what it represents. Represents a lot. Right. So my understanding is that what what he says now when the National Security Council meets, that the director of national intelligence will no longer be there at every meeting. The the, um, chairman of the Joint Chiefs will no longer be there at every moment. This is, again, the National Security Council. They'll only be called in when issues that they have anything to do with are being discussed. But the person who will take their place at every meeting is Steve Bannon of Breitbart News, now the White House. You know, Susan Rice, former National Security Advisor, put out a tweet yesterday saying this was, quote, stone cold crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think... It's interesting. This is, the, and the White House is pointing us out right now. And I think it's fair for them to point out this is the way George W. Bush did it. It is not that the Director of National Intelligence and the uh, and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff are going to be blocked from uh, the actual National Security Council meetings, which are the meetings that they have when the President is in attendance. Mm-hmm. What they are going to do is not be there for all of the so-called Principles Committee meetings, and then. In some ways, that may not be the worst thing from the perspective of you probably don't want your national, your director of national intelligence and your joint chiefs chairman in meetings at the White House all day long every day. 
Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But I, I think that's at some level probably a way of uh, making it easier for them to not have to come to talk about budgets for the State Department and things like that. I actually don't think that part is nearly as crazy as having Steve Bannon. Well, I was going to say, you can't escape the fact that they're, that the person who is going to be there every day is Steve Bannon, who has zero qualifications to be there. Yeah, I mean, if things go bad, people are going to be talking about the banality of evil. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yikes. Good phrase. You know, the, the, one yeah. of the things that I mean, struck me about Bannon going in there is he's, they, they sort of hinted at the reason he needs to be there is because of the national move, the nationalist movement and how that's going to have to be addressed in this administration, which could go either way with a guy like Steve Bannon. You know, I mean, we know where he stands on it. So is he there to monitor what he thinks is bad about it? Or is he there to help implement a very nationalist military type? Yeah, they seem to have dropped the term white from nationalists. Yeah, they uh, sure did. When they're right. talking about themselves. But interestingly, they are still talking about themselves as nationalists. And uh, it's pretty clear that the countries we like are the ones that are all white. Uh, when I say we like, I mean the they like administration yeah, that I'm not sure. actually part of. I mean, the United States Permanent posture now is if you're non-white, we're against you. Uh, but there's no doubt, is there, that Steve Bannon is calling the shots? So, far, so from what we've seen so uh, far, I mean, there's the no Trump doubt White at House. all. Yeah, no doubt at all. And uh, you know, the but, f- the amazing thing is when they when they justified this uh, <laughs> this executive order putting him into the these shuffle, meetings, right. the shuffle. They basically said, and they're saying now, well, look, he's an expert on geopolitics and has an extensive background in the military. Who's military? He does not have an extensive background in the. He's not a. He's not a general. He's not yeah. somebody that's you know risen up through the ranks of the Pentagon. He's not somebody who's studied, uh, you know, was in it, any he, sort of normal was he fashion. Even in the of, military, he was. He For was a couple I think he was of years a captain or something. or something. Yeah, but I mean, you know, what was he like helping Savimbi or something? Has, I mean, like, I, yeah. And he also worked at Goldman Sachs. I mean, you know, it's it's not like as you say, he's not a career military. Not a career military guy, and he's not uh, an expert in foreign policy in any way that would be recognized by, say, foreign po- policy experts. Yeah. Well, you know what Steve Bannon says to you? You ought to just shut up, dude. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's it's his right to say it, and it's his, his mistake to say it. I am trying to square what Steve Bannon says with the rest of American values enshrined in the Constitution and having a tough time doing it. Right, which That's, is yeah, which is also describing the media, which by the way Donald Trump has since echoed as the opposition party. We are the opposition party. Why? Because we report the facts. We report the facts that most terrorist attack that not a single terrorist attack has been committed by anybody who came through our refugee screening program. And the idea that the that the media is some sort of monolithic monolithic enough to be a party, yeah, is yeah. insane. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's just ridiculous. But I do think that. Um, you know, telling the media to shut up I, has zero value to him. I mean, the people that already hate the media are going to continue to hate the media. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, the role of the media is to be in opposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As as one person once said, uh, you know, afflict the comfortable, mm-hmm. comfort the afflicted. I've never been so proud uh, as I am today to be a longtime member of the ACLU. 
which is uh, our way of introducing Faz Shakir, the new national political director of the ACLU. Hello, Faz. Good to be back. Thank Good you. Good to see you. Appreciate it. You've had a bit, you and your friends have had a busy weekend at the ACLU. Yeah, it was tiring, but it was a good one. Yeah, and thank you for well, what you've done, and congratulations. Great team effort. We have a lot of great litigators who are on the ground and jumped on it quickly. As you remember, Friday night, the order came down late Friday, and there was this lull. I, I walked away Friday afternoon kind of depressed because he launched it on the late Friday afternoon, thinking like, well, the media storm won't be as great. Things will die down over the weekend. Of course, we found this case Friday evening and, and jumped on it Saturday morning. It was in the New York Times, and off we went. And I was people going to ask you, how did you get on it so fast? How did you know these guys were coming into JFK or these two people that you represented? And Were you in contact with them ahead of time? Had you prepared your case ahead of time? I just also want to point out that you were in here two weeks ago, and you warned us that this Muslim ban was very real. Yeah, and it could yeah. be coming down the line. And to the credit of the ACLU, we've prepared for that. I mean, we, we literally had a game plan in place that if Trump did something like what we anticipated him doing, which is along the lines of what we actually did anticipate, that we were going to have an approach of finding clients who uh, we could use to challenge the order. And uh, we were we went to the right place at the right time, found the right people, and uh, we were on the ground in Kennedy talking to various people. Uh, and Hamid Darwish uh, was a very compelling client, uh, somebody who worked um, with the U.S. military in Iraq and uh, did a lot of service. Uh, you know, Brandon Friedman, who was just uh, on TV talking about the fact that Hamid helped him when he was serving in Iraq, a U.S. Mm-hmm. war veteran. Uh, so he was one of the first. He was our first, our first client. We used him to launch a nationwide class certification so that Hamid would represent the entire class of, of refugees and, and travelers coming into the airport. Uh, and so that worked out. Pretty impressive. Very impressive. What's the long term of this? I mean, obviously, you've got people coming into the country uh, who have uh, the right papers uh, to come in who were in the air. Right. Um, that is a, as the White House points out, a relatively small set of the people who are affected by right. this ban. So, what goes forward from this? Because I assume that is a a different issue than yep. just the folks that were already in the air. The issue that John's raising is exactly what we sought immediate injunction on, because that was the immediate danger: was that there were people trapped in airports in detention, being forced on flights, going back to their home countries by U.S. authorities, were in the air. And so that's the, what we could have we, we were able to stop immediately. The injunction stops anyone from being put back on planes and being sent back to their country. Right. Uh, but they're the still next, in detention. Yeah, right? they could be in detention. So what the New York order said, the judge said, the minimum bar nationwide is that no one's being sent back. Now, if another judge, like in Boston, comes about and says, no, there shouldn't be any uh, interrogation of these people, then they can go essentially above the bar, right? The legal standard mm-hmm. in, in those yeah. particular airports can go above of what New York set it at. Uh, and so far, we've had great success at getting people through and out of the years of these airports. There's a few, obviously, we're still fighting on. Obviously, uh, Customs and Border Patrol was a bit of a challenge. So we're still fighting this through. We've gone back to the judge and asked for a clarification, cert- a certification of expanding what she meant. Uh, with this order so that we have clarity going forward. But as you saw, I mean, the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, has already announced that they're loosening the standards. The travelers uh, who we had been caught up in the system are now going to be getting through clearly. I don't know if you read this morning, uh, British authorities say that if you're one from a, a traveler uh, with a visa emanating from one of those seven Muslim-majority countries, you can still go to America as long as you go through a layover in Britain or France or Germany. So guess what? There's Swiss. The, the, the order is Swiss cheese. There's so many holes being poked into it because it is untenable. 
is literally untenable. It was, and it's an unconstitutional order, which we haven't gotten to yet. That's the next phase. There's still a religious discrimination inherent in the order itself, which will be fought out over the weeks to come by the ACLU. Wow. It's, it's just stunning. Uh, and, and now, tell us about some of the—the the Army translators, I think, has got, gotten so much attention. Rightfully so, right? Uh, I, I, I mentioned this morning just bringing it back home. Across the street from us is an Iraqi former translator, came here through the program where they're allowed to, 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 to emigrate to the United States if they've helped us out for I don't know how many years, whatever, but that's part of the program. And right? why? Because they're actually at risk in their own countries. Yeah. And so now we, we are doubling their risk. We've said, right. okay, we're going to give you safe refuge in America. Oh, no, actually, we're going to make your life a living hell in addition to the living hell that you're trying to so escape. He, he took advantage of this program. He came here. His wife had to stay behind. I'm not sure exactly why. She got a visa. Right. right. Finally, on the 18th of December, I, I'm sorry, January, two days before Trump was sworn in to come to the United States. She showed up at the airport in Baghdad on Saturday to take her flight to the United States with her visa in hand. Uh, hey, Jamie, we've got and she, she told her story to uh, CNN. I was about to get on the plane and they called my name. I went and they said, you can't board. You can't travel. I was shocked. I cried, why? Why me? There's a, people that we owe a debt to, right, for saving the lives of our military there in Iraq, and we treat them like this. I just want to make this Multiple plug. stories There's, like there's this, a lot right? of stories. We're hearing a lot of them. We've been capturing them all into a, a list that we're keeping at the ACLU. If you know of anybody, uh, the email address is irpmuslimban at ACLU.org, IRP, which is Immigration Rights Project, IRP mm. Muslim Ban at ACLU.org. And we'll, we're tracking these stories. Uh, and we're going to continue to fight this order on many fronts. You know, there, there's people here in the United States, Bill, who are planning to travel to some of these countries who are now wondering if they should because will they ever be able to get back. There were people who had plans to come here in about a month, and they're wondering if they will be able to make it. So if you're in those kinds of situations, reach out to us. Uh, we'll be looking for... I want to mention something really, really quick, because the president just tweeted uh, oh, 10 minutes God. ago. Because the big argument... I know I know, we're trying not to like read every tweet. <laughs> Governing by out. tweeting, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the big argument here is this is not a Muslim ban. That's what a lot of conservatives are saying. This is not a Muslim ban, right? Saying. Right? Right? This is a tweet from Donald Trump. If the ban were announced with one week notice, the bad would rush into our country during that week. A lot of bad dudes out there. So he himself calls it a ban in a tweet 10 minutes ago. And la I mean, ye yesterday he was tweeting about the fact that Syrian Christians are suffering greatly. Yeah. One thing you don't see in a lot of his tweeting is the word Muslim. It's not a subject of concern for him. It's obviously something that he's not animated about. Uh, to the extent he is animated, it's a personal animus against Muslims. I saw, I'm sure you saw Rudy Giuliani on this uh, last weekend saying that Donald Trump called me personally and told me he wanted to do a Muslim ban and asked me how to do it legally. Mm -hmm. So we have enough statements on the record about what they were intending to do. And despite ob the obfuscation or the euphemism about extreme vetting, uh, everyone's clear-eyed about what the hell is going on. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This 
is The Bill Press Show. Well, you know, first impressions mean a lot, and no president has made a worse first impression than Donald Trump did this week. His first week left us with the certainty that, as Hillary Clinton warned and we feared, Donald Trump is indeed unfit to be president of the United States. I mean, he acted like a kid on Christmas morning with a lot of new toys. Oh, look! Santa Claus gave me a new phone. Let's call everybody we know. Oh, look! Santa Claus gave me a new pen. Let's sign every piece of paper anybody puts in front of me uh, without, of course, consulting Congress, not even consulting the agencies who are required and expected to carry out those orders. And, oh, look, Santa Claus gave me some new power, so let's use it to break up families, destroy the reputation of the United States, and trash the Constitution by establishing a religious test for whoever comes into this country. I mean, hasn't Donald Trump ever read the Constitution? He doesn't have to read far. Like, it's the First Amendment, freedom of religion, freedom from any religious test. The First Amendment, not the 45th or whatever. Freedom of religion, under that freedom of religion, we can establish no religious test in this country. No religious test for who is an American and no religious test for who comes to this country and steps foot on American soil. A Muslim ban is unconstitutional and un-American. Now, of course, Trump is branding all his branding, uh, his executive order, uh, his Muslim ban as keeping Americans safe, when in fact, it's just the opposite. He's making us less safe by attacking women, children, and families, by even stabbing in the back those brave Muslims from Iraq and Afghanistan who've helped our American soldiers as translators and saved their lives, and by turning the rest of the world against us. What I wonder is, how much more does he have to do before Republicans in Congress realize that we have a madman in the White House, and they've got to stop kissing his ass and start standing up to him? This is The Bill Press Show.